0: Uh, answer those. It's good to be with you this morning. We were gone last week at a retreat and with the teenagers that went really well but it's good to be back at home and to see familiar faces. We miss being with you uh, on Sunday. I was reading an article the other day in science robotics where where scientists were describing this incredible new technology. Can't remember exactly what the title was. And I guess describing is not the right word because they wouldn't tell the audience, they wouldn't tell me what this technology actually was. Instead, what they focused on was the impact it would have on society. It stated at the end of this article that in further issues of the magazine, they would hint at to what this incredible, quote unquote, incredible technology would be. But it caught my attention because of the kind of language that they used. Things like, it's gonna change the way that humans interact forever. Life will never be the same as we know it. It's so small that you can take it wherever you go. It's gonna revolutionize the way that you teach. It's gonna revolutionize the way that you learn. One thing they said in particular was, We must be careful to whom we allow this invention to go home with because there's a possibility that it can change you, maybe even your family unit, some for the better and some for not. And at first, as you read through the article, as I read, it seemed like all these changes were positive, but they predict the negative effects might just outweigh that which is positive. You could sense this hesitation these scientists had on it being a mass consumer product. On one hand, they want to be known for the greatest invention ever, at least in their words, while on the other, maybe it wouldn't be what is best for our society. But one of them had said, if we don't market it to the consumer, someone else is gonna beat us to it. So if we don't do it, somebody else is, so we might as well. Which is why they didn't tell us exactly what it is that they were talking about. And though the article was vague, it led me to believe this, whatever it is, It has the potential to be uber, that's my scientific word, uber-addicting. That its consumers may care more about it than the people around them. That it would drive individuals further into isolation. It might even affect our mental health. And while it would allow its consumers to be more efficient in day-to-day life, ultimately making life easier, it would slowly take your focus off that which is most important in this life their words, not mine. Your relationship with family, your relationship with friends, and a higher power would never be the same. And the question that I left with was this, do I even want whatever it is that they are talking about? On one hand, it's claimed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread, with the greatest of potentials, or on the other, it has some detriments that they are warning us about. It would lead to further isolation, I may care about it more than I do people, It has a chance to rule over me where I become addicted to it, and it might change the relationship and the dynamics that I have with people and with God. How many of you, granted we don't know what it is, how many of you would be willing to take the risk? The truth is, is that most of us have taken the risk. We've brought it into our homes, we take it wherever we go, We use it in every area of our lives because what I described, and you may have caught on, this invention is that of the smartphone, the iPhone. I didn't read that article. I made it up, which is why it didn't sound scientific at all. (laughs) And now you may not believe any other word I say the rest of the the sermon. I thought about changing out that part. Oh, well. But we've brought it into our homes, and with complete oblivion and insight, excitement, I have thrusted myself into this new world, not realizing how much it would change the way that I look at myself, the way that I look at my family, and the way that I look at God. Imagine a world where Twitter is just a noise, where if I hear something outside, what's that? Oh, it's a Twitter. Imagine a world where tweet was just a sound that a bird makes. Imagine a world where cloud was just this fluffy thing in the sky that could make rain. Imagine a world where Zoom meant someone was doing something at an incredible speed and not sitting at their computer meeting after meeting. Imagine a world where Skype would be considered a misspelled word. Imagine a world where you can call somebody and tell them you're LinkedIn and they know you mean you're in prison. (laughs) Or a a world where Uber meant something outstanding. Or if you said Dropbox, it meant that you owed your wife a new lamp. (laughs) A world where applications was something that your senior was doing as they applied for a job or potential colleges in the near future. Imagine a world that if I said 5G, I'm describing where I'm parked at the airport. This world that you're imagining seems like it's a snippet from the Flintstones, but in reality it was here just 10, 15 years ago. These past few weeks, and I'm going to be honest, I don't know what Tommy talked about last week because I was gone, but these past few weeks Tommy's been preaching on the idea of reading your Bible and giving some tips and trip, tricks and why we should do it. And it got me to thinking about the obstacles in my life that often prevent me from diving into the Word. And to be honest, when I'm not here at work, it's this right here. It's that which is in my pocket. And you may have gotten the impression that I am anti-phone, that I am anti-technology, but that really isn't the case. When my wife and I, we sit down and we do a monthly budget, there's two categories I want to spend money on that I have to hold myself back from. Technology and technology. The problem, with me, and all this, as I am saying, I look at myself first. And the reason I've chosen to preach on this is because it's something that I've need to work on myself. But if you're like me, and the problem with me is that I tend to embrace technology without asking too many questions. If it makes my life easier, if it is more convenient than I'm in. My recent kick is having lights and switches and plugs that connect Uh, to my phone that I can control them without getting up from the couch, which is really cool. (laughs) And so I adapt and I take this new technology without asking too many questions, but that wasn't always the case. When Socrates was alive, he didn't write things down, but those who did write things down, they have it recorded that he mourned the invention of a pen. Because he thought to himself, if we can write it down, what's it gonna do to the human memory and the brain and how people exchange information? When Leonardo da Vinci died, did you know that they discovered upon his death that he had all kinds of blueprints of inventions that he never told anyone about? He had a blueprint for a submarine. You see, he lived in a world that you didn't just invent something because you could that sometimes those inventions would change a society, and maybe not always, for the better. Every invention or piece of technology that comes into a particular society begins to change that society. John Colkin says it like this, he says, first we shape our tools, and then our tools begin to shape us. Since the invention of the smartphone, of iPhones, more than 1.9 billion have been sold and we check them every 4.3 minutes, that's 81,500 times a year. That's ranging, I've seen stats ranging from, we look at them 98 times a day all the way to 260. You see, we live in a world that doesn't question the inventions coming out, but simply embraces them without much thought, and the rate in which technology changes is faster and faster than ever. The phone you just bought is probably already out of date. You see, technology has a tendency to drive the human race further into isolation. That's what it tends to do. I don't think it's designed to, but it's what it tends to do. Many of us went from one screen in the house to a TV in every room, and now it's a device for every member. And isn't it true that with every screen that we have in our house, it has driven our family members into further isolation from one another. I'm not going to ask you at the end of this service to gather all your phones, we're going to put them in a pot, and we're going to have a fire burn. Actually, we're going to do it next week at the fall festival because there will already be a fire. But I'm not going to ask that because I don't think that that's what God necessarily calls us to do. But as Christians, we want to start asking the question, as a disciple of Christ, how is this changing my life? You see, if my ultimate goal in life as a Christian, I think when we signed up for this life, it is to reflect God. And if my ultimate goal is to reflect Christ, to reflect God as his image bearer, how does this device help me reflect that? And how does this device, or whatever technology you want to put in place there, how does it deter from it? You see, I'm not anti-technology, I am pro-relationship. Christians do not get, see I have a double negative, I know I was gonna mess up on that. Christians don't get to not ask this question. How does it help me in my relationship? How does it deter? And you may be thinking to yourself, well, you see the iPhone wasn't invented for this purpose. How many things do you know that were invented solely for God's purposes? The mark of a disciple is being able to take any resource given and use it in a God-honoring way. Maybe another way to put it is that thoughtlessly adopting technology is worldliness. When I don't see the impact that it has on my relationship with others, my relationship with God, and I don't ask those questions then maybe it's not doing it the way that God would have me do it. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 8, or sorry, chapter 10, starting in verse 8 through 11. And then we will get to the Tower of Babel that was uh, read during our scripture reading. Genesis chapter 10, 8 through 11, it says this. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and that's why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, Kalna, and Shinar. And from that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehobothur, and Kalah. You see, here you have a man named Nimrod. How would you like that name? You have a man named Nimrod, and out of the list that's provided there in Genesis chapter 8, or sorry, Genesis chapter 10, he is the only one that has verses uh, that expand on his life. He's got five verses dedicated to him, and he gets this lengthy description. You see, Nimrod is a mighty warrior, and apparently he used those skills of being a mighty warrior to really begin to rule, to have dominion. In 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10, it says that Cush fathered Nimrod, and he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Nimrod is the man of mans. You see, and what he began to do was he began to rule over things, and he began to rule over a place called Shinar, which is where we find the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. Now the whole world had one language and one common speech. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Who's ruler of Shinar? That is Nimrod, all right? And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered Over the face of the whole earth. Did you catch just in those first four or five verses, did you catch what the invention was? It was the brick. You see technology is the reordering of raw materials for human purposes. You see Nimrod and his companions, they have the brick. Maybe they even invented the brick. I, don't, I didn't go into all that. But it seems like this is something new. This is a new technology, which is pretty sweet, right? They're going to use the brick instead of the stones because up until this point, they were using stones to build, and now they have this brick. And bricks are nice because what they found is bricks are easier to stack on top of one another. If you've ever tried to stack stones, you can only get so high before they fall apart without any kind of, you know, glue, that kind of thing. But bricks, you could stack pretty high. You can design some pretty cool things and do some pretty incredible things with the brick. It's smooth surfaces, they were great for that. And my guess is, is that if bricks weren't around, I don't think they would have ever thought to stack them to the heavens for the sake of making a name for themselves. I just don't think they would have tried that with stones. They may have found another way to make a name for themselves. I'll give them that. But I don't think that it would have been this because stones can't stack that high. And it begs the question for us this morning, is technology good or is technology bad? Technology in and of itself is not good or bad. It's neutral. You may get the impression I think it's bad. I don't. They invented a brick. And I don't think one person in here would say, yeah, the brick is bad. It became something that God looked down upon when they used it in a way that it was not intended for. When they used it in a way to make a name for themselves. And God said, nope, I need you to start over. It's interesting because they wanted to use the brick to do the exact opposite of what God wanted them to do. They wanted to use the brick to make a name so that they would not be scattered, and in your classes you guys will discuss that, but God had different plans for them. Technology is not inherently evil, but it tends to become the platform of choice to express the fantasy of the human autonomy. Technology tends to be the place where I can say I can do it myself. You can do it yourself. I don't need anybody because I have all this at my fingertips. I have all this in my hands. Nimrod was acting like a Nimrod. (laughs) Our devices are the brick of Nimrod's day. The brick was the height of technological advance, as is the phone. Someone back then shows up to a party with a brick in their hand, and people go, hey, who invited the rich guy? You see, the issue is not the brick, but it's how they used it that it became a problem. The issue is not the devices that we have in our house, the devices we have in our pocket, but how we use them that becomes a problem. And if I know anything about God, I know this how we use them matters a whole lot to him. It matters to God. And my fear is too often that God wants to say, nope, Chris, start over. Because you're not using it the way that it was intended for. You're using it in a way that is faithless. You're using it in a way that doesn't let you be the image bearer that I have created you to be. You're using it in a faithless way. Facebook, social media, Instagram, whatever it may be, it's a great thing, but did you know that one third of all divorces cite Facebook as a part of the reason for divorce? Facebook's a great way to connect with others. It's a great way to see what people uh, halfway across the country are doing, but it also has places where you can stumble. Texting, being able to communicate quickly uh, with your teenagers. To communicate quickly with your spouse. We don't want to pick up the phone anymore but we're okay. Texting, it is a great resource to have but did you know that approximately 23% or 1.3 million car wrecks every year are due to somebody being on their phone. Texting. The iPhone, it's great for researching anything. Some of you guys may have even like fact-checked me as I was like talking. You pulled your phones out. He said, I, I want to see what he's actually saying here. It's great to be able to research anything that my heart wants to know. It's pretty rare for my family to be around the dinner table, and we're talking about something, and something comes up that we don't have answers to, and when Katie and I say, hey, let's just take out our phones. Let's Google it. Right? right there at the dinner table in front of the kids who don't have phones, at least for now. So I can research anything that my heart wants to know. But what I find is that I sometimes research the stuff that my heart was never meant to be a part of. That all of a sudden there is too much information. There's too much that needs to be filtered. And so while it's great to get to know everything, there's things that we don't even need to know anything about because it's not whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable. Think upon these things. I get to catch up with people who live halfway across the country. I get to see what they do in their day-in and day-out lives. But maybe the downfall is now I begin to envy a life that they just put there on the screen that looks better than mine, that looks better than yours, because they publish that which they want the world to see, but it's not actual reality. There's good, there's pros, but there are also cons. And we have to start asking ourselves, what problem did we solve, and what problem did we create? With every screen, with every device you brought into your home, what problem did you solve? What problem did it create? Give your 10-year-old, 11, 12, whatever, your old smartphone because you want to get a hold of them all the time. That's a good problem to solve. We want to know what our kids are doing. But we may have also created a really big problem down the line because now they have all this power at their fingertips. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. What I'm saying from us is that we need to start asking the questions of what does it do to us spiritually. I can now work on the go. I can get done in the office, take my phone, still answer emails, still answer calls, messages, whatever it may be. I solved a problem. I don't have to be in the office all the time, but I just created one because the boundaries between work and family life have now been blurred where there are none. And it all just kind of blends together. And my time is divided. What problems do your devices solve? What problems do your devices create? If you want to, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Because I think when we start talking about the world and how it works, we should see how the world was meant to work first. And in Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28, it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And if you were to read through the whole narrative of Genesis chapter one, what God is doing is he's handing out jobs. To everything that created, he's giving it a job. Birds, your job is to fly. Your job is to look beautiful in the air and to fly. Fish, your job is to swim. Stars, your job is to separate the day and the night. And you are going to do it so beautifully. Human beings, your job is to be the very image bearers of God. That is your task that is your responsibility, that when you were born pressed into the fabric of your DNA, you have the very image of God. You and only you have this ability. None of the birds, none of the fish, the trees, the stars, they do not bear God's image. And as image bearers of God, it's your job to have dominion uh, over the earth, right? And then he gives Adam some. He says, hey, your job's to name the animals, fill the earth, and have dominion over it. Subdue it. You see, God sets up a hierarchy with Adam and Eve. There's God, there's them, and then they have dominion over the earth. But then one day, Adam and Eve, they choose to let the deliciousness of the fruit entice them. They allowed the fruit to now have dominion over them. Think about it. They ate because they wanted to become like God. And in an instant, Adam and Eve flipped the hierarchy that God had set up. Rather than faithfully doing the job God gave them to do, they, tried, they sat in his seat in an attempt to become like him. Every time we allow something of the earth to rule over us, I think we flip the natural order of things. I think we flip the way that God intended it to be. Isn't that essentially what addiction is? It's a condition in which a person engages in the use of a substance or maybe a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeatedly pursue the behavior. You flip the order of things. You allow something to now rule over you rather than for you to have control over it. And addiction, I don't want to make light of that because there's hundreds of them out there, and that is something that we have to to deal with and we have to recognize. What's the first thing? I am powerless to be able to control it, but I believe in a higher power that is. The question that I want to ask this morning for you guys that I want you to ask is, do we rule over our devices or do they rule over us? Do we find that which was meant to be an accessory to our lives has quickly become the priority? I understand that we have jobs to do and it makes it easier to get those things done. And to be honest, you know, as I was getting ready for this, I was like, Okay, I know my generation, we struggle with this a lot um, in parenting, that kind of thing. Do people who are more mature, more wiser, maybe have a few more years under their belt, do they as well? And then Katie said, well, if our parents are any indication, they do as well. (laughs) Sorry, Mom and Dad, if you watch this later on. Right, because this is not just a young people thing. I think it's a human thing. But do we find that which was meant to be an accessory to our lives has become the priority? And I have a job to do, and it makes it easier to get those things done. But when do we quit being ruled by beeps and buzzes? When do we look up from our phones and acknowledge the world around us? Yes, even your spouse when you go out to dinner. When do we put our phones down and get on the floor and play with our grandchildren rather than say, I need to check one more thing. When there's a constant battle, and I struggle with this daily, so this is more confessional than anything, when there's a constant battle of do I engage with my children or do I engage with my phone, there may be a problem. When did we quit ruling over our phones and allow them to begin ruling over us? What problem did it solve? What problem did it create? And do I rule over it, or does it rule over me? My belief on this is that outside of blatant sin, I think this is the biggest obstacle in the life of a believer to letting the Spirit rule over you. It's true for me. Outside of sin, this is the biggest obstacle. It's the biggest obstacle, what makes it hard to read the Bible when I have my own time, because I can fill it with so many other things. I'm not anti-technology. I'll say it again, but I am pro-relationship. Relationship with Christ, relationship with one another, relationship with your family. And our devices, and I see it even when we get together doing church things, and I have to fight myself on it all the time, our devices can bring us into further isolation when we're in a room full of people we're actually interacting with a whole nother room of people we're not in the room with. What are we saying? They are more important than you right here. I want to give three suggestions as to how maybe to fight this, and then we'll end our time uh, this morning. The first one is disconnect to connect. Choose specific times and locations to consistently Disconnect from your device in order to connect with God, family, and friends. When are you intentional with the people that you love most? Your family, your friends, people here at church. Jesus was as intentional as they come. You see Jesus getting together with 12 disciples and then he even has this inner group of three and he did everything that he could in those relationships and he went deep with them because he was intentional. What Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and any other social media, they can begin to pull us into more and more shallow relationships with more people because they are built to exchange information when God calls us to have deep, meaningful relationships. When is the time that you disconnect to connect with the people that matter most around you? Some of you parents in here maybe that have teenagers are thinking, yeah, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start telling my teenager, hey, Chris said disconnect, connect. And that's true. But like I said earlier, it's not just a teenager. It's not just a generational problem. I think it's a human problem. Adults spend nine hours looking at a screen while middle school and high school students spend about 11 hours a day. We often complain about our kids, when are they gonna put that down, not realizing that we also have the same tendency. And the best way to get our kids to put it down is to model it ourselves by putting it down ourselves. When's the time that you are going to plug away, not plug, that was dumb, plug away, (laughs) who does that? unplug in order to connect with others? Is it at the dinner table? Is it in your car? Is it when you are in the sanctuary? Are there times and places where you say, hey, we're going to be intentional with the people that we're around? Maybe it's waking up extra early so that you can spend time with God and saying, hey, I'm going to put that away and I'm going to spend time working on the things that we talk about here in church, loving God and loving others and seeing what God has to say about it. When are you intentional? The second thing, deepen your internal values. What drives your decisions? Our behavior communicates what we value most to others. And when our behavior doesn't communicate the internal values that we actually hold most dear, then maybe it's time for us to hit a reset and change the behavior in order to match those true values. And when time I start talking about value system, what do I value? What do I care about? Then I have to start asking as a disciple, what is it that Jesus cared about most? What matters to him? And Jesus says, hey, all the laws, they hang on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do your actions indicate that what matters most to Jesus matters most to you? If we value deep, meaningful relationships, then our technology habits must show we care more about people than we care about it. If we value the Spirit's input in our lives, then our technology habits must show that we're more plugged into the Spirit than we are plugged in to our phones. Does what matters to God, matter to you. I often have to remind myself why do I do what I do? What is the reason that we are here? What is the reason that I have this family? What is my job to do, and am I doing it faithfully? Our internal values set the foundation and they provide the context for discussing external boundaries. I think sometimes when it comes to technology, we just wanna put external boundaries, well, you can't have it at this time, and this time, and this time. Well, we're gonna set up these filters, which I'm not against. But if all we ever do is set up external boundaries, then when those boundaries are gone, we'll find that we never developed in our hearts the reason that we were doing it. It was just something else to do. And when those external boundaries are gone, then I'm going to fall because I didn't learn. And so it's deepening my internal values. And then three, develop external boundaries. What is put in place in your homes, in your families to help protect you? Maybe it's establishing rules and limits for ourselves so that we can channel the proper amount of energy into our relationships. Maybe it's thinking and setting up the right safety, and accountability strategy for yourself. And maybe that looks like filters on the internet. Maybe it's limiting time. You know your family better than I know. What can we do to use this in a faithful way? As parents, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our kids right now outside of showing them the person of Jesus and what it looks like to follow Christ, but it's helping them establish external boundaries when it comes to these devices. And I think sometimes, because they understand it better than we do, we go, oh, we're just going to let them be. And we're going to take a step back. We're going to cross our fingers and hope that they use it appropriately and hope that they use it wisely. So, maybe it's setting up external boundaries in your family. Maybe it's setting up boundaries for yourself because you know your pitfalls. You see, as disciples of Christ, we must begin to ask the hard questions of life. And I think one of the hard ones is, for me, what do I do with this? Came up on our retreat last weekend, and I said, you know what? Maybe I just need to get rid of my phone. And then I thought of everything else that would have to go with it. And it became extremely challenging, and extremely difficult. My watch wouldn't even function without it. My headphones wouldn't work without Like, it almost gave me a heart attack. <laughs> but maybe, because I see what it does in my life, and yet it has some pluses, but I also see the negatives, maybe because of what it does in my life, it's just not worth it to have it. All the time, Maybe it's doing something different. Disciples of Christ look at what it is, comes in in their life and they begin to ask the question, how does this help me bear the image of Christ and how does it deter from it? And if we find that something deters from it too much, then we must get rid of it. We must choose to do something new, to do something different. What we need, what I need, Our new life disciplines birthed from a new set of life priorities and empowered by our new life freedom in Christ. Today, you may think this is all about phones. I guess that would be appropriate. But what it's about is how you relate to God and how you relate to others because of this. Take a look at it and see, where you, um, and see where you stand. Maybe it's something you don't struggle with and today you go, hey, that was a pass for me. Great, I'd like to talk to you after and maybe you can give me some tips. But maybe it's not for you. And if you find that you need help or you need anything from us, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.